Good morning, afternoon, or evening. I'm Andy Hudnall with Total Media Podcast. Today's episode is all about sports once again, local, regional, and national. Before we get into that, I want to thank our sponsors, Stockroom 601. They will be having comedy night coming up with Karen Jaff, Jesse Nutt, hosted by Lori Graves. Uh, there are tables, reservations, seating is very limited. This event is Saturday, July 18th at 9 p.m. To call ahead about the seats, it's 740-286-1990. And while you're there, check out their new delicious menu with all kinds of items. You've got some mushrooms, AJ's mushrooms, traditional wings, smash burger, the double smash burger, which is my favorite. Some fresh fries as well. They're open Thursday through Saturday, 4 to 10 p.m. 601 East Main Street in Jackson. All right, I'm joined by a panel of local experts. You guys want to introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Todd Comston, sports editor for the Telegram. Yeah, Red Thompson, one of the sports writers. All right, I'm Pete Wilson, uh, the editor of the Telegram. You know, one of the big stories coming out of Wellston is the fact that they're trying to get a, uh, a soccer team together this year, and I'm sure that has a lot of mixed feelings. Well, you know, I, I had a discussion last summer with Wellston's uh, new head football coach, Mike Smith, about this, and he really didn't seem like he was much in favor of it. And, and I started pointing out schools that are basically Wellston size or even smaller that have both football and soccer, Southeastern, for instance, uh, Zane Trace. And, and his question to me was, how many of those schools make the playoffs? And Zane Trace did two years ago, for two, for two straight years, actually. And uh, Southeastern made it last year, so... Uh, I don't see where soccer actually hurts your program. It may even help your program. It, it's kind of astounding that an official would, uh, like an official person at the school, would make that statement because I would think you would want ev- any opportunity for these ath- uh, for these students to be an athlete of some sort. Absolutely. Some, one of these kids may like soccer, may have no interest in football at all, and you'd think you'd want to give him that avenue to do some extracurricular stuff. So that really surprises me. Right. It also surprises me. Being from Athens County, I'm not familiar with the Jackson and Venton County schools as much as you guys. I wasn't aware that was Jackson the only one with soccer? Yes. Uh, that surprises me. Right. Well, when you were talking about adding sports to give additional kids opportunities that sure. doesn't say play football or even basketball for that matter, Wellston was the first school in the area to start bowling, and everybody just kind of followed suit. You know, Jackson uh, two years later started it, and Venton County started, you know. Um, my understanding, it's 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 uh, financially, it's it's an easy pro- it's an easy sport to operate. You know, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You don't have uniforms right. to buy; they just buy shirts, and of course, the kids buy buy their own bowling balls. But and and Jackson has you know in just what three years has really improved as as a boys and girls bowling team. Well, I think that some of that ties into what Red was talking about the rise of soccer, if you will. Um, I think cost is one of them. Right. I think the accessibility, and if you think about the ease of play, um, not not to I'm not disparaging soccer in any way, of course, but you're going around kicking stuff. Mm-hmm. That's something you learn at a very early stage. Right. Um, then you add that into the fact that in football you're getting hit a lot. There's a lot of concussion issues, so that could be hurting them. Basketball, you have to have a lot of coordination, which you do for all these sports, of course. But I think at soccer. You can play soccer by just kicking a pop can around if you want. Right. So I think that helps rise to the popularity of it. Plus, around the world, soccer is the sport, or fo- football, as they right. call it. Um, so I think the popularity worldwide of soccer is certainly helping the rise of it as well. Right. I agree. Um, but soccer is a, 
more of a contact sport than most people think, actually. No, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I, it was not my intent to disparage them in right, any way. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, I do agree with what you say about giving them kickers. I'm from Alexander, which had very a, a pretty decent soccer team, and a lot of good kickers came through there. Most not- notably, Josiah Yazdani, who kicked at OU. Uh, he went on to some Cleveland like semi-pro football team. So you certainly have that. Now, you do have the issue of some players playing soccer instead because it's very tough to play two sports in the same season, mm-hmm. but it's certainly possible. Absolutely. But usually it's just it's, it's usually a kicker on the football team sure. playing both sports. You re- usually don't see someone playing soccer and then playing a skilled position or on the line, or definitely not on the line for football, but um, – Occasionally, I would love to see a lineman playing soccer. As, well, I guess it's possible. It's possible, <laughs> um, but I mean, games really aren't the issue because the game soccer players don't play on Friday night, and ninety nine percent of football games are played on Friday night. Right. So the games aren't the issue. It's the games that are on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Then you have to miss football practice. Mm-hmm. So it's very difficult to juggle these. And of course, there's other sports that tie into that as well. Right, and Jackson has actually benefited from their soccer program as far as kickers. And the, uh, right now, uh, uh, they have two really good kickers uh, on the football team from the soccer that plays soccer. And of course, before that was Michael Benson, who's now at Robert Morris as a punter and kicker for Robert Morris. So, you know, he's playing Division One football. Right. Right. And when you have that situation, and certainly it's happened at other schools too, because I mean, you have a lot of soccer style kickers, and, and the pros, they're all soccer style kickers, it seems like. Um, you need to have, obviously, uh, support and cooperation between the two coaches um, because usually, uh, you know, your kicker, is a, your kicker is a main player on your soccer team, too, and the practices mm-hmm. are often at the same time. And uh, here in Jackson, I know Andy Hall and Lee Lord have worked very well together, and Andy Hall appreciates the fact that Lee Lord allows or even, even has given his blessing to some of these better soccer players becoming uh, kickers. And, you know, I tell you what, if you're a good enough kicker, uh, you can get a scholarship just like you're a left tackle. Absolutely. So, and, you, and you might not, unless you have to make a tackle on a kickoff thing, you might not get hit as much either. So it's definitely advantageous. And, and Jackson, I think probably you can go back probably 10, 15 years, they've had a soccer player be their kicker. It isn't just – somebody who kicks off who plays another position it's usually a specialist yeah it makes a ton of sense in my opinion and i think there are a lot of rules in the football world to protect kickers which really helps the coach the soccer coach keeps them happy Mm -hmm. that's right that's right you know the uh, the wellston soccer program uh, uh, they'll have a new home um wellston city schools are building a track soccer facility um, so the so the track program over there will have a new home. It is uh, maybe half done. That's just a guess. Maybe a little more. They've done some nice work. They put in some bleachers. They've roughed out the, the oval. Um, they put in the long jump. They've rolled the infield. So they've done quite a bit of work. There's still a lot of work to do, but there's going to be exciting for the Wilson City Schools to have a new facility. Uh, and for the whether it ever becomes a football field, that may or may well, not happen. Talk. I mean, I had a conversation with Jeff Hendershot on that, and they are putting up goalposts. So it's just a matter of time. It's just nobody knows really when that the football program is probably going to be playing at their new site at, at the, on the school campus, yeah. which is probably where it really should be. Sure. Uh, Wellston Superintendent of Schools, Todd, uh, 
I ask her about the goalpost. You know, what does that mean? Does that mean the fun drive is on for football, or what's that mean? And she says at this point, no, there isn't, but it's a wish. It's a long-term goal. And I think that was very smart to put up those goalposts because that is a, that is a constant reminder, this is where we want to go. Right. And you're going to need them anyway. Exactly. So uh, I think, you know, if somebody was thinking that, uh, psych- psychologically speaking at this point, not, not practically, uh, that, was, that was a great move because, uh, you know, I agree with Todd. It's, I think it's great to be on campus uh, if you can, and Wilson's got the room there. Uh, and so uh, to have the facility all together, the track facility as well as the soccer and the football, I think that's, that's where you want to go. Until then, C.H. Jones Field's got a lot of tradition. They've made some upgrades there in the last uh, five years, and uh, it, it, will, it will continue to work out. But for the future, I think that's where they want to go. But they're still raising money to finish off the track facility, and it's so hard, especially in the climate that we've had lately, right. to raise private money. And I think they'll get there. I think there's a few, few issues that they're still still looking at. But I think, uh, I think that when you're trying to fundraise, I think Wilson has showed potential fundraisers they have made a major commitment, um, and you know maybe it'll be easier to go to some of the big donors and say you know we have we've gone this far. Will you help us finish the goal? And certainly what they've done has been very nice. So I think um, sometimes uh, I think maybe they felt that they needed to have something to show, and they certainly do now, that they've they've done a very, very nice job with what they're going to have. And and I think people will maybe help them get to the eventual goal um, of playing football there. I think it will happen. Maybe not. It might be a few years down the road, but I think they'll get there. Well, they actually have stands on the home side. They have a press box. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and Jeff Hendershot did tell me that um, if they need to add to it, they can as far as the stands. Mm-hmm. Well, I guarantee you, uh, you know, Wellston has had, had to go many years without, uh, without a track program that had a home, at least for competitive meets. They, I know that they can practice at the old place down there by the football field. But that will just do wonders for the Wellston track program. And I can remember uh, years back when I was younger how good the Wellston track program was. Uh, Brian Lintola, who uh, is retired now from teaching and coaching, uh, he was um, he uh, now does a lot of photography around. And so you see him still. He lives here in the Jackson area and still does a lot of work around Wellston. Has a photography studio downtown. Uh, he was an outstanding uh, track coach there, and uh, you know. You are really, and Jackson can tell you this, that when they didn't have a track, you're really behind the eight ball when you don't have a, a, a track facility at home. And Wellston will now have that this next school year. That's great. In Vinton County, staying on the track subject, Vinton County will also um, have their renovated track project completed. They Basically, they got about 10 years out of it when they first built it in 2001. They resurfaced it, I think, in 2011 or 12, and now it's they've had to go down all the way to the base. But unfortunately, they've ran into some problems. The company that started the project was not able to finish it, and they've hired a new company from Columbus, and I think they're done or close to being done. I think it's going to be striped. So um, the Viking track program will have basically a new track, 
because they had to go, I think, every 10 years, they said. Or or the second, you, one time you can just kind of do the rubber resurfacing, and then the second time, you can't do the rubber resurfacing twice. They say it buckles. Mm. You can do it once, and you're fine, but twice you got to go all the way to the base and basically rebuild the track, and that's kind of where they're at. And it's it's been over a year, and through a long, frustrating process, it's but it looks like it's going to come out happily. They they was able to get it done in budget, which is was their biggest concern, and it's going to be nice. So that's good news for the Viking track. They've always had a good track program there mm-hmm. in cross country. So yeah, I was through for track and field back in high school. And I can remember having many meets. At Benton County High School, it was always one of the nicer facilities, so it's nice to see. It'll be nice to see the renovations when it's completely done and see the new state. But if we go back to the part about making these upgrades for potential in the future, um, but if you expand beyond just playing your own football games on these no, new fields, if you can build a nice enough facility, it's also nice to host playoffs like beyond. Like when your team's not in there anymore, I mean Jackson hosts playoff games every year. That's extra income for your school as well. It, it definitely helps, and of course Jackson uh, gets gigged a lot because they charge for parking, yeah. uh, which they do for, for basketball games and football games. But then when you can do it in the playoffs, and you've got uh, you know uh, maybe five thousand people coming, mm-hmm. you know our our stadium will hold that. Uh, that is a big difference in your athletic department budget because. The way it is politically now, you're not going to throw a lot of regular school operating money into your athletic department. It's going to have right. to support itself. And now it's a good thing, but now there's many more sports, many more programs. you got your junior highs. you got to find a way to pay for it. There's lots of ways you can do it. But, uh, you know, through the front door, uh, you know, your admission fees, your reserve seat fees, your parking fees – all that make uh, you know a stadium like that possible. And then here's the thing: Oak Hill is getting ready to replace their turf, and they're looking at 350 to 450 thousand for a basic mm. turf replacement thing. So you just don't suddenly say it's time to re- replace the turf and then open up the piggy bank. You know, you'd better be right. squirreling away some money to be able to do that. And I know that the parking fees are a big thing uh, for Jackson to be able to do that. And there are schools in other areas that have more money than our schools do around here. And some of them are pay to play. And we don't, I don't know about Athens County, Andy, but in Jackson County, there is no pay to play. They haven't had to do that. They found a way to, to make it uh, so that if you want to play sports, there may be, you know, some fee or whatever, but, but there, there is no participation right. fee that's going to prevent a kid from playing. Which that's, ultimately benefits who? Mm-hmm, right. I'll say that, that was actually something Bob Kite, never wanted to see happen he never wanted to see a pay pay to play um and i you know one of the other great things about the uh um, parking fee was according to bob when he was still the athletic director uh was it helped pay the stadium off is that correct um it was uh it was it it did help in that way todd for sure uh it was mainly more kind of like putting money towards the turf replacement Mm -hmm. but um I know that they had pledges and like that to pay for a lot of the stadium, and I don't know how much the parking fees helped in the early years of paying things off. But because the turf is not a permanent thing, you always have to have a plan for replacement, and that is beyond just being able to support your teams. And let's face it, you know, on the gate, on the gate price, on the gate admission situation, because of the stands and the interest, you know, you have your football, 
you have your boys and girls basketball maybe, uh, soccer to a degree. You just don't have a lot of fans at some of these games. And right. so it, it's hard to make it just on the admission fees. Uniforms, equipment, all very expensive. Absolutely. It certainly is. And, and you know, one thing that, that I think that we're going to see more and more, and I guess you already are, the, unless these uh, schools have uh, extra fields – and the Manford comes to mind. They said they had plenty of fields. I think turf's going to almost become a reality because of the nightly use of these stadiums. In the past, these stadiums were used once a week. Now they're used every night. And I think turf has almost become... Um, it's a necessity. Yeah, a necessity other than a luxury. I think at first it... Well, there, it's, it was a luxury. Maybe when a few schools had it and the others didn't. But I think now... As I mentioned with Fenton County, if they add 32 more games to their field, I don't know what they'll do unless they build another one. That's kind of the choice you have. But but I think turf, uh, certainly uh, the high school I went to does not have turf. Ravenswood, West Virginia. Ripley, West Virginia does. Um, a lot of them in West Virginia do now and all over rural areas. But I think it's the turf companies also – uh, if you look at some of their ads, they're really pushing to do the baseball fields. They're offering combo deals. Now, locally, I don't think any of our baseball fields have turf, but if you look on some of their advertisements, it'll push uh, combo deals. So now, crews come, get your baseball field done, we'll give you a deal. Mm-hmm. So, well, the big problem with that under the HSAA is come tournament time, if you are the host team, I'll, I'll give you a good example, Megs on their high school uh, field for softball, put turf on there. They weren't allowed to host it because they're not allowed to play on turf. Now, baseball, they can. Really? But, but yeah. So they actually had to go to that, back to their old field to play. And from my understanding, just talking with Brian Walters and the, and, uh, the folks down in Galpolis, um, is they prefer to play on the old field versus the field with turf for softball. The That's girls do. I would have never guessed that OSA had different uh, rules and regulations between softball and baseball in regards right. to uh, field type. Right. Well, it, it it's it's a situation that, uh, I, like I said, I think baseball can play on turf, but the up where they play the state tournament is not turf; it's grass. Right. So they do play on turf for their district or district games over at the VA. So that's why I say it's, it doesn't seem to be a problem for baseball. I don't know why it's not allowed in softball. Um, I think they can have it in the outfield. They can't have it in the infield. That was the problem. They had it in the infield, it makes, I think. I, just, I would like to know what the benefits are to having turf opposed to grass. I mean, obviously. It's going to make the game maybe a little faster. Is that a bad thing? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Well, and then, of course, the condition of the field, if you've had rain or whatever, you know, you'd, that's not going to be a consideration at all if you're, on, if you're on turf. And, you know, you don't really see, even in the football games, unless it's raining really hard, you don't see a lot of players slip, right. you know, even when it's wet. You know, you'd think that that, that might be a problem more than standing water on a, on a grass field. But uh, it, it just seems to drain really well, at least most fields do. And I think it's also, from the athletic director's point of view, um, you can use the field for more more uh, opportunities. They did talk about having a concert at 
at Alumni Stadium at one time, and they can use it for to, – they could actually rent it out to more people if there's turf. And there, we've also certainly seen the evolution of band shows, and I think the argument against band shows – when they were filled with grass, was well, it tears up the, that's another thing that tears up the grass in the middle of football season. But now they have a band show at Jackson during the Apple Festival. They have two at Oak Hill. And so you're seeing more and more uses. And some of the schools, they could rent them to – Jackson had a soccer game, Ryle Graham versus Shawnee State. There's different things you can do if you have turf. I think it makes you – it makes it multi multifunctional the stadium. So I think that's another driver. Yeah, the front end cost of AstroTurf is, is certainly significantly higher, but the middle and back end is significantly lower in regards to maintenance. You don't have the mud in the middle of week seven because of week two, three, and four were all rainy. So there's certainly a lot of benefits to it, but the multifunction part is really interesting. Right. And, and, you know, when you have, whether it's a turf situation or just a new facility situation, you know, that's that's kind of a promotional thing for your school. If you have a, a great facilities, that may draw uh, some students, uh, some families to you because, you know, they want to they want to play in a place like that as opposed to, you know, a, a place that's not so nice. Uh, that sure. that can make a difference, just like a school building. You know, if you have a new school building versus an old school building, where would you want to go? Where would you want to have your kids right. sit in class? Well, it has also become a, a preference for the HSAA. When the, when the playoff, when football playoffs are going on, they prefer to have them in stadiums with turf for that reason, due to, you know, the field's conditions and lacks, lack of footing, if it's snowing or raining. Um, you're not going to have those issues on turf like you would on regular grass. So Right. I don't know whether, Todd, they have a, a rule or not, but uh, it seems like to me in recent years when you have a, a playoff game, not a home game, of course, that you know you, in the first round the higher seed team gets the game no matter what. Uh, I'm not sure on the second round I can remember a place where they played the, where, where there wasn't turf. Jackson played at Lancaster in 97. Well, I'm talking about in, in recent years. No, they, they like Lancaster Fulton Field, and they still do. Um, but it, is it turf now? Yes. I was gonna. I was gonna say I'd be very surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, certainly. Most schools that are building new football or soccer stadiums, you're certainly seeing turf come in. Where you see the natural grasses when you have these old facilities. Like I can certainly remember. Um, again, I'm from Athens County, so when Nelsonville York got their first one. It was my sophomore or junior year, and it was such a big deal back then. But now it's such a big deal when you're on natural turf or natural grass. Um, so, again, I think it's very beneficial. Uh, the other sports is where I find it very interesting because you, you see soccer and football on natural turf all the time. But on a professional and a college level, do they play on Last I knew, they mostly played on natural grass, right? They do in baseball and softball, So yes. why, it, It's intriguing that high school would want to bring in AstroTurf. Then. Right. Well, I think high school um, – I don't know if that's the high schools themselves. I think that's the turf companies trying to, trying to get the most mileage out of going of to one place. I think that's a pitch. Well uh, – They show pictures of, well, we went to this high school and we did – the softball field, the baseball field, and the football field. When you have over 700 schools in a playoff for baseball and softball, you know, I've seen where they've actually scheduled uh, district and regional games, and they would have one game after another, maybe three games over at the VA because it's turf, simply because, you know, there's that rain issue during mm -hmm. the late spring 
And uh, over there, the rain doesn't become an issue. You know, there might be a rain delay, but right. you can pick the game right back up after the rain stops. Right. You don't have to get the field ready either. If you see on a dirt field, they've got to drag it between games. They don't have to do that in a turf field. They can just right. go. What makes it What makes it nice, I mean, everything is – I mean, I'm a traditionalist in a lot of ways, but I'm also a person that understands, I think, how athletics is a business. And you want to get as much out of your field and your facility as you can. And I think that economics is – is uh, maybe driving this more than um, than the love of tradition. It's great to see a game on grass. It's great to go over at OU. they got a beautiful field. and uh, But they also have a big staff that can keep it up. Right. A lot of our local high schools don't. So. Well, your coaches do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and a lot of these coaches aren't paid enough as is, so you had maintenance No, the they're not. I mean, the baseball, the baseball coaching positions are uh, not not paid like the football coaches, right. of course. But you know, uh, uh, go back to uh, where Wellston plays, out on three twenty seven. Uh, that field one time was owned by the American Legion, who has since donated it and given it to the school. But Pat Hendershot, when he was the coach, he was there thirty two years, I believe. Uh, he took care of that field and. That field used to be beautiful. It still is. Don't get me wrong. But when he took care of it, it was immaculate. I mean, the manicure he did on that field, it was just beautiful. Right. Just to spread in it, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And uh, that, you know, Pat Hendershot had a great uh, baseball program for a long time at Wellston. And that was, that's almost symbolic of that success, I think. It, you know, it really doesn't mean anything that doesn't mean you're going to win more games than you lose but it, it kind of sets a tone i think absolutely so you know in that case uh, it was just a grass field but uh but it was a, it was it was a beautiful field and that made a difference to the program the kids and the fans in the community no doubt and you know it, it can be done i mean right here in jackson dick sparky hollow field um it's kept up beautiful, but there's also been some businesses in Jackson that's been willing to, um, um, you know, fix it up over the off season. It's been uh, it's been drug a couple times. It's been receded, but they just keep it up so nice, and you know, and it's a beautiful grass field. And there's been some great games there, but if you have a grass field, I think it takes that kind of community spirit. And whether it's the dedication of a coach, businesses, I know the Jackson players are out there working on it after every game. That's one thing I really like. It's not just the businesses. The players go out and they rake it. They take care of it. And you got to – they really keep it up nice. So a grass field isn't necessarily lost. It just takes a little more work. And certainly I think in our communities they take pride in their baseball fields and keep them up. I know until they opened Alumni Stadium. Uh, the Jackson football team practiced on the outfield of the baseball field. Steve Little was here then as the head baseball coach, and uh, that was always one of his pet peeves. He hated the fact that they used his outfield to have football practice. Right. So because he, you know, he he wanted to keep that field as good, as in good condition as possible, and uh, he felt like you know having football out there is tearing his outfield up. Sure. 
So well, I think that's similar. I can remember playing football. We didn't like it when the soccer guys were on our field either. So. I imagine, yeah. Um, but I, I think Red hit it when he said that's a source of pride. Um, I, I feel like it also kind of speaks to the de-evolution of baseball in America. Because mm-hmm. uh, I can remember when I was a kid in the summer, if it's a weekend, you're at the baseball fields watching. You may not even be playing. You're watching your buddies play out there. Mm, right. You don't really see that as much anymore. Right. You don't. Uh, but this does feel like a good segue. We do have some local baseball going on. Is that correct? Right. Uh, Todd uh, is uh, here in the Telegram, has already covered uh, some of the American Legion games. Of course, I know when the summer started, not sure what we were going to have, if anything, but uh, the way it worked out, uh, there's at least uh, one team in our area. Right, Todd? Right, uh, Jackson Post 81, uh, which was really supposed to be uh, Vinton County. Uh, MacArthur's team. I'm not exactly 100% sure what happened there, but Post 81 stepped up and provided the funding to have the team. Now, there are travel teams that are that are playing right now. Right. And uh, the Wellston American Legion, when I had called them to find out whether they were sponsoring an American Legion team this year, they told me no, but they were sponsoring a travel team. Uh, I believe it was, it was either 12U or... Uh, somewhere in that area, between 12 and 16 U, they were they were sponsoring a traveling team. But they, um, there's also, you know, we got a lot of kids playing travel ball and, and softball, you know, which softball's been really good around here lately for all four of our schools. So, Well, it's interesting because Legion has always been such a big thing for high school kids because it's like, well, if you're a baseball player, what do you do in the summertime? Exactly. So since Legion's not here, it's interesting to see these schools – sort of adopt uh, summer teams, and I, I assume it's unaffiliated, correct? But it's still kids from these schools. Right, and see what's happened since uh, there's no or there's no dead period between coaches this summer. A lot of your schools, like Alexander, for instance, they just put their high school team together right? because coaches can coach them, uh, and they're playing Legion teams. Um, but the Legion team here in Jackson, it has four kids from Jackson, five kids from Wellston, Two kids from Oak Hill and two kids from Vinton County. So, you know, um, um, the point is, is the kids and, and a couple of the kids have already graduated from high school, and uh, two that I know of are going on to play college. But the others are underclassmen, so they're getting that they're getting that repetition, that experience over the summer of playing baseball. And I think ultimately that's what it's all about. Absolutely. So. Um, so it's nice to see them get to go out, um, especially since the seniors who didn't get to have their senior baseball season get to come back and sort of have one of course it's not the same thing for them but i'm sure it's better than nothing absolutely uh i guess one thing i might add uh you know we were talking about you know making an athletic program uh solvent keeping it afloat somehow mm-hmm. uh self-supporting uh an evolution that i have seen uh just grow a lot in the last 10 years are support clubs um you know, when I was young, there was one thing called the Jackson Athletic Boosters Club. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, football was always the big dog, but, you know, it supported other sports as well. Well, now about every sport, even the smaller sports, seem to have a support club. And what that means is uh, they want to have nice things for their kids that play sports or, or, or for their kid across the street that plays sports that you know. And... The businesses and the parents uh, have just stepped up to be able, uh, in some cases, to probably make that sport possible with the with the extra funds. Because by the time you know you buy the uniforms and you pay the officials, 
and you're not getting a lot of gate, if any gate for some of these sports, it's really not a doable thing unless you get some outside help. And I know here in our local area, businesses have been very good, but parents have also been very good to step up and do these support clubs. And there, there are very few sports that I know of around here now that don't have a support club. It seems that almost every school board meeting, there's a new support club that, really? that receives school board approval and recognition. And so that is another element in somehow making it possible to have these sports and be able to afford them. Right. And Jackson's been very, very supportive of their, of their sports programs, more so than any other place I've ever seen. Um, uh, but, yeah, um, I agree with what Pete says there. This, uh, the programs here in Jackson are supported very, very well, and they're able to raise the money. And, of course, you know, your um, support programs, um, your clubs, they're only allowed to have so many fun, or your teams or programs are only allowed to have so many um, uh, fundraisers per year. But Jackson just does a great job, and um, they're able to raise the money that they need and, and, and to buy the stuff that they – and it's like Pete said, I mean, uh, the football uniforms themselves, I mean, does anyone, anyone realize how much a football helmet costs? I don't think so. They're very expensive, very, very expensive. Well, I mean, even just – They're in the thousands of dollars. Yeah, beyond the helmets, the shoulder pads are up sure. there too. yeah. They get new uniforms every few years. And speaking of that, Jackson is actually holding their football helmet uh, fittings – on July 21st, okay. uh, the varsity is at five o'clock, and the JV f- or the junior high is at six o'clock. So, right, and when you get those notices that, uh, you, or you see them posted or whatever, you know that you're starting to get close to mm-hmm. the fo- to, to football season or practice or or whatever. But a couple other things on the on the sports scene, or maybe just off the sports scene, that may be worth mentioning since sports is our topic. Uh, been a lot of news, Andy, about the about the fairs lately. And of course, there are some activities at the at the fairs that that are on the sport that are in the sports realm. And in Jackson County, even though they had planned just to do a junior fair because of COVID nineteen, they have now decided to have some uh, some of the regular sports activities. Two nights of harness racing. That's going to be on July sixteenth and seventeenth. Uh, Todd always is real good to to cover those, and uh, they've been supported lately. And they're going to be back. They figure that they can afford that and maybe make some money. And also, they're going to do what is always popular around here. I've never, I've, I've never been a big fan myself, maybe because I, I haven't gone, but the Demo Derby. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have a Demo Derby on the Saturday, the final Saturday night of the fair. I believe that might be July the 26th. And so those two things, plus a motocross uh, that a lot of people like, I believe that's going to be on Saturday Saturday the 18th, if I'm not mistaken on there. So those things are going on at the Jackson County Fair. The Vinton County Junior Fair is a a complete cancellation. And, and of course, you know, when you're trying to make a decision and it's in May and uh, you can't have crowds more than 10, you can see why those decisions get made because, you know, you just don't do plan a fair in two weeks. Right. So that's what's going to happen with the fair. Harness racing, demo derby, and motocross in Jackson County. I still wonder how they're going to uh, do the the demolition derby because that's always a packed house, always every every right. year, and I don't know how you can maintain that six foot distancing, like you know you're expected to do. So it'll be interesting to see how they. It, do it, it'll be the same rules that apply uh, to the beaches and the protests. There, there won't be there won't be social distancing. Right. I'm afraid. You're right, but when it comes to fairs and stuff, a lot of the entertainment or sporting events, if you will. Um, are things that can require social distancing, like demo derby, you're separated by your car, harness racing, you're 
umpteen feet apart. Yeah, out on the field, it's not a problem. Yeah, out on the field, it's not a problem. It's the spectators, exactly. Um, But I think Pete's on to something when he says there won't be much social distancing. But we will do our part to encourage you to social distance. Um, We're not out of the woods yet with all this stuff. Uh, Certainly just be smart about it. There's nothing wrong with taking the safe route. Exactly. You want to... Um, just because you know you've been fortunate enough not to get sick or know somebody that's sick, people have gotten sick, and of course, the more contact you have with more people, the more your odds go go up that something could happen. Sure, and that's something that's going to be interesting come football season. I mean, we've already heard about players from Clemson, players from West Virginia right. who've who've uh, tested positive for COVID nineteen. What's going to happen the first time a player tests positive in high school? You know, what are they going to do? Are they are they going to cancel the season? Or what's going to happen? It'll be interesting to see what they do there. Right, and I'm interested to know, maybe, Todd, you know, because you're paying more attention to it than I am, are all these players that are testing positive, are they asymptomatic or are they sick? Most of them are asymptomatic. Right. That's an interesting thing because, you know, if you look inside the stats in the state, and this is off the sports thing, but we'll say it anyway, if you look at the stats inside what the High Department of Health puts out, you have a lot at the prisons and even at the nursing homes. And, and what you don't know is they don't, they don't have it listed statewide how many are asymptomatic. And that means a lot right there. Because if you're asymptomatic, you know, you don't have any symptoms and you're not sick, but you apparently can make somebody else sick. Right. Yeah, you, you just don't know you have it. But I think the fair season could be a precursor to fall sports at the high school level, even maybe even collegiate. Um, if they can find a way to get all these people in the area safely, then maybe that's something the high schools will be able to pick up from. But let's say, and hopefully it doesn't happen, but let's say you get a huge spike in the area because of this fair happened, well, then the schools might look at that and say, well, then we just can't play any fall sports this year. Right. The, the summer is going to be a big a big telltale thing on what happens in, in the fall, but you know, we talked about that on the on the TV today. It looks like by the end of the week, we may know, uh, or schools may know what direction they can go as far as uh, how the school part will go, and I'm sure that will that will dovetail into what happens with sports too. Well, as of right now, uh, mandatory practice actually is August 1st for all high schools for fall sports. Um, so, uh, again, nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, we said in here two weeks ago, uh, it, it's. It's a wait-and-see game, you know. Yeah. We, nobody knows. I mean, is there going to be that second wave that they're afraid of happening? We don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this fall going into winter will be when we see the second wave because, I mean, we're still in the first wave. That's what people don't realize. We right. never got out of the first wave. It, right. it might have receded a little bit, but we're still part of that. So you can't get wave two till the first wave yeah, hits, well, and that's going to be fall time. One of the things they talked about was a lot of the states, uh, they saw the spike and then it flattened out, and then it came down. Ohio actually opened their, their state up while it was still – after they spiked to the top and flatlined. They'd never right. come down. So it, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. And I think Southeast Ohio really um, – and we're kind of talking about COVID here exclusively, not about sports, but Southeast Ohio in particular has done a really good job. I mean, the cases are slowly catching up. But nonetheless, fall time is going to be real interesting nonetheless and fares – will certainly be the precursor for all this. Well, yes. and I mean, we've gone to phase two as, as far as uh, what they can and can't do in uh, for the fall sports teams. Yeah. Um, for football and basketball, basically they can only have like inter-squad scrimmages between each other. 
Uh, there, can't, there, there can't be any seven-on-seven seven passing scrimmages with other schools at your at your stadium. Uh, you can't have any shootouts with other schools in basketball. So um, I don't know. Um, some people are, are, you know, Paul Boggs, he and I were talking, and he said, I'll be the first to call it. There won't be football this fall. So we'll see. Yeah. I'm certainly anxious to see what kind of changes will be done as far as uh, personal protective equipment because football, you kind of have a face mask there to where you could you try could to work something You could potentially put that it. plastic shield over the face yes. mask, exactly. But soccer players playing with a mask. Are you going to put helmets on soccer players? They may have to. So, I don't know. And, I mean, what are you going to do for volleyball? Exactly. So that's where I think it all gets interesting. But luckily they have all summer to think about this stuff. Uh, we once again want to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Stockroom 601. We've got a new menu out at Smashburger, the Double Smashburger. I'll say it again. They're still my favorite. Fresh French fries. Uh, call them up Thursday through Saturday, 4 to 10 p.m. They are open for dining, if I'm correct. And uh, they also have carryout if you're not ready to go back in yet. But they do have comedy night coming up. Will be hosted by Lori Graves. It'll be featuring Karen Jaff and Jesse Nutt. That is Saturday, July 18th at 9 p.m. Their address 601 East Main Street in Jackson, Ohio. Tables are open for reservation. The seating is limited, so give them a call at 740-286-1990. I want to thank Todd, Red, and Pete for coming up and making me sound like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but for Jackson Broadcasting, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks.